hearts. For our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Now again, if you have your Bibles, perhaps you can open them at the book of 1 Peter and keep them open there at 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 12 to 19. Just uh, two more Sundays in 1 Peter, this one, and then uh, Keith will finish up our time in chapter 5 next week. Uh, So 1 Peter chapter 4 at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. This is God's word for us today. Uh, So what we're going to think about today, as Peter continues to take us to the theme of suffering, is about troubleshooting our view of suffering, and especially our view of suffering as Christians. Now, I am sure that we are, most of us, at least probably all of us, familiar with troubleshooting. Uh, Many times it is a modern-day lifesaver, isn't it? Your computer freezes, uh, or your washing machine won't spin, or you find your phone is out of memory. What do we do? Perhaps almost by instinct now, we either go to our troubleshooting guide or we we look up online for those set of questions that are given to us, that that logical uh, working through of questions to identify the source of our problems, ideally then to provide the simple fix. What's the problem uh, that Peter is bringing to us? He's bringing to us the problem of suffering as a Christian, suffering because you are a follower of Jesus. Now, we've seen through this letter that, that for the people that Peter write, writes to, that's, that's things like insult and rejection and slander. It's the beginning of opposition. And perhaps the question that emerges is then, why am I suffering? I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus. Why is this happening? Why should I bother being a follower of Jesus if life becomes hard for me? Uh, A few months ago, I was recommending a book called Evangelism as Exiles. It was written by a guy called Elliot Clark, who'd spent over 10 years in the Middle East and then came back to the States. And having lived in a place where persecution was normal, uh, one of the things he was recognizing was that in the Western church, we really struggle. We've got used to the idea of respect. And perhaps we are struggling and sometimes fearful with this new reality that we tend to be ignored as Christians. Our views are on the margins, and we perhaps often find ourselves on the margins. And that can cause us to be fearful and cause us to have questions. And that's why I think First Peter is so helpful for us as a church today. 
as he repeatedly reminds us about the realities of suffering and how to respond. Uh, So we're going to use verses 12 to 19 as a a troubleshooting guide uh, with some questions for when we suffer. But before we get to that, let me remind each of us of two important principles um, that have governed Peter's whole discussion of suffering. And he's come back to it again and again uh, throughout his letter. The first big principle is that all of our suffering comes to us from a sovereign, a wise, a faithful, a good God and Father. That's important to recognize. We can see that in a couple of places. Chapter 3, verse 17, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then the last verse we just read, chapter 4, verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So all our suffering passes through the hands of our sovereign, wise, and good God. And also, and he keeps reminding us of this, Christian suffering is always set in the context of the gospel, of a suffering servant, a suffering savior who gave his life in order to save his people, to bring them to God. And again, we can see that a couple of places. Chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Or how he begins chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. So we're invited to trust in our good God and we're invited to remember the reality of the gospel and a saviour who loved us and gave himself for us. And now we get to our specifics. Here we get to our four troubleshooting questions. When it comes to suffering for Jesus, first of all, what is my expectation? That's be question number one. Uh, secondly, what is my attitude Uh, when that suffering comes. Uh, Thirdly, what is my perspective uh, on the suffering? And fourth and finally, what is my response? What does life look like when suffering comes? My hope is that this will be helpful for us, perhaps laying a foundation. Perhaps we're not suffering right now uh, for the sake of Jesus. And we hear some principles to apply and to reflect on for when that day comes. But some of us will be uh, right in the middle of that, right in the heat of suffering for the gospel. And again, I hope that these truths will be an encouragement. And if we're wondering, is faith in Jesus worth it for not yet Christians, that hopefully this will uh, point us towards the reason why it's worth it, even with suffering. So let's get to our questions. Uh, The first question what is my expectation? And this takes us to verse 12. You can look down there at verse 12. And what we see Peter say is, don't be surprised by suffering. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You got to love Peter's honesty, don't you? as he recognizes, and he's not ashamed of the fact, that suffering is normal, not abnormal. It's not weird if our friends think that we are weird because we're followers of Jesus. With this fiery ordeal image, he goes back to something he's already used, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the idea of suffering as a refining process. We'll come back to that the reality that God is able to use suffering for his good purposes in our lives. And so in a sense, here is Peter giving advance warning, don't be surprised if following Jesus brings suffering. 
We recognize that if we think about the life of Jesus. We think about what happened when Jesus came to earth. We see that evil targeted Jesus. As an infant, King Herod tried to have Jesus killed. As he began his public ministry, the devil tried to pull Jesus off course from following God's will. And as hostile forces came together to have Jesus arrested and then killed on the cross, we recognize Jesus' life was one marked by suffering. And Peter says, remember, we follow in his footsteps. Peter, of course, heard the words of Jesus. For example, in John chapter 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. A servant is not above his master. So our most basic question is, what do I expect? Peter says, don't be surprised by suffering. It's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to us because we live in a very comfortable part of the world and we live in the culture of comfort. It makes us ask the question, am I ready to count the cost for following Jesus? Am I ready to share this as part of our message, knowing that people like ease and, and leisure and pleasure? Nobody likes the idea of suffering and cost. Is this something that I'm going to share with someone as I share the reality of, of the gospel? That it might involve, and it should involve, suffering for Jesus in different times and in different ways. Do we recognize that suffering for the sake of Jesus is not a bad thing to avoid at all costs? Peter also gives us encouragement, the encouragement that when we suffer, we're not alone in the sense that it's not something that's unique and unusual for us, rather it's normal. But there's also the comfort of shared support. What we are going through, brothers and sisters in Christ perhaps are going through too or have been through, and so there is support and fellowship for us in our sufferings built into the church. And even more than that, we recognize that Jesus does not leave us alone as we suffer for him. We're reading a book by uh, Paul Tripp about church leadership, and he says this. He says, at the heart of every hope that the gospel offers is a suffering servant. Jesus is our hope. He's the center of all our hopes. All our hopes are pinned on him, and without his willingness to suffer even to death, there would be no forgiveness. There would be no church. So we suffer. We think about suffering. We must never lose sight of what Jesus suffered for our sake. So that's the first question. What's my expectation? We're told not to be surprised by suffering. Second question, what's my attitude? And here, Peter, using again very striking language, says that we can rejoice in suffering for Jesus in verses 13 to 16. Now, normally, uh, in about two weeks' time, our city would be sort of inundated by people coming from all over the country, all over the world, to run uh, the Edinburgh Marathon. Um, and we, we can look back fondly on those days and the travel chaos uh, that we used to have on a Sunday morning when the, when the marathon was on. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I, I spot them still occasionally, uh, the people wearing the blue t-shirts, uh, proudly saying Edinburgh Marathon Finisher. 
And sometimes they're like really old t-shirts. Sometimes they're just from a couple of years back. Whenever I see that, my, my thought is always, how in the world has anyone put themselves through that much suffering? I was like, no wonder they're wearing that. If I managed to finish a marathon, I'd be wearing that. I'd be wearing the medal and everything. It's a badge of honor, isn't it? If you complete that most grueling of races, the t-shirt, it's that badge of honor. I suffered, but I finished. As Peter continues troubleshooting our view of suffering, he uses really striking language in this section. So verse 13, you see he talks about rejoicing. In verse 14, he talks about being blessed. In verses 15 and 16, he says, it's not a source of shame, rather it should be a source of honor to suffer for Jesus. In other words, Christian suffering should be like that marathon t-shirt. It should be a badge of honor for us as the people of God that we are so closely identified with Jesus that we have the privilege of suffering for him. Now, what does he mean and what does he not mean when he talks about this? How can he call us to rejoice? Well, let's have a look at the language. Let's look at verse 13 and think about what he says about joy. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Again, he's calling to mind that as Christians, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus' life on earth was one of suffering first before entering into glory. And that's where our joy is found. That that will be our joy too. That we will see and enjoy the glory of Jesus in the glory of heaven. And so we can have joy as we keep our eye on the prize, as we remember future glory uh, that's laid up for us. We don't rejoice in suffering for suffering's sake. We rejoice because there's a reward coming. Then in verse 14, he talks about being blessed. And notice how he reminds us again of the nature of their suffering. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There is blessing to be insulted as a follower of Jesus. It is evidence of faith, the reality that the spirit of God lives in a believer, that the glory of God is made visible that we get to bring glory to God as we suffer. There's blessing in that. Again, we remember that Peter heard the teaching of Jesus, and no doubt Peter is remembering uh, words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of the Beatitudes. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So there's the qualifier that's always there, because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad. There's a rejoice word as well, because great is your reward in heaven. So there's blessing because there's reward, because we're identified with Jesus and because uh, we have the Spirit in us. And then verse 15 and 16, we see that there's honor to bear Christ's name. Now, we recognize in verse 15, not all suffering is good and honorable. He says, if you, if you suffer 
or for being a criminal, for hating and hurting others, or if you suffer for being a busybody that's meddling in the lives of others. There's, there's no honor in that. Rather, that's, that's a shameful thing for a Christian. But, verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There it is again. There's no shame in suffering because you are a Christian. Rather, there is honor. Maybe not honor from the world, but honor from God. It takes us again to Peter's own example. If you read Acts chapter 5, it's a wonderful chapter of courageous faith. Peter and some of the apostles, they've been arrested. They've been told, stop talking about Jesus. And they say, well, we can't. We've got to obey God, not men. And so eventually they're released, but not before they've been beaten, before they've been flogged. And what's said of Peter and the other apostles is that they, they came back to the church and they were rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing after being beaten and imprisoned? Rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. To so honor Jesus, to recognize the privilege of being one of his is to be able to rejoice in suffering. That's the attitude that, that we are to have, but that's a hard attitude to have, isn't it? That's really hard to cultivate, to have joy as we suffer for Jesus. Is that a t-shirt I'm ready to wear as a badge of honor? That will only be true if we see Jesus is worth it. Only true if we understand all that Jesus has done for us. The Bible is inviting us to see suffering for Jesus as a gift of God's grace freeing us from focus on ourself and pursuing happiness in, in self, and now rather pursuing ultimate happiness in Jesus, our Savior, having our life centered on him. We're being invited to see suffering for Jesus as a source of honor, not shame. Think about that. If someone else sees something of Jesus in us, if somebody else hears about Jesus from us, that should be a good thing. We should be glad of that. Even if people don't respond well, there's honor in that. And of course, he's reminding us always to see suffering for Jesus in light of the gospel. Our suffering can seem hard, seem all-encompassing, until we think about Jesus suffering and dying to forgive us, suffering and dying to adopt us into his family, suffering and dying to give us eternal life suffering and dying to show us the full extent of God's love for us. And in that light, then our suffering seems so small and temporary, especially when we remember our reward is eternal. And that takes us towards uh, the third troubleshooting question, which is this, what's my perspective uh, on suffering? And here in verses 17 and 18, we are uh, certainly being reminded that suffering for the Christian, it refines and not destroys. Again, going back to that, that picture from verse 12 and back to First Peter chapter 1. Let me read verses 6 and 7 of First Peter 1. You can turn there if you have your Bible. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, 
which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, So, Peter uses this image uh, for the church to think about suffering. Imagine a furnace uh, and that process of applying fire and heat uh, to a metal ore in order to burn off the impurities uh, so that we might be left with pure metal with solid gold. That purifying process, and when we think about that being applied uh, to uh, a person's life, that brings a lot of heat. Uh, That sounds uncomfortable, but there's promise. The end result is pure gold. So Peter uses this picture in this section to say that, that suffering, that's the heat. And we remember, of course, that suffering comes from God's wise and loving hands as he purifies and tests his people with the result that those who pass the test, those who have true faith, are those who are saved. So let's bear that in mind as we follow the logic of verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. Remember Malachi 3, when the Lord came, where did he come first? The Lord would come to the temple. Where would the refining, the testing process begin? It would begin among among the Levites and the priests. And now judgment will begin with God's household. New Testament language for the church. Uh, God has this work of testing, this fire of testing now for the people of God. And notice in our section there is a a contrast drawn uh, between God's household, also in verse 18 known as the righteous, um, and those in verse 17 who do not obey the gospel of God, those who reject the gospel, and verse 18, the ungodly and the sinners. So two uh, different people, groups, types in view. And the key point for us to recognize is this, that yes, Peter says, Christians suffer and are tested in this life. And that is, to use the language of verse 18, that's hard. Simply put, the the road of uh, the Christian faith, which involves suffering for Jesus, it will not always be easy. It is hard. But the final outcome is that we are saved. Yes, there is pain, but there is great gain. Those hard experiences that we go through, those, those fires of testing, to use the imagery, is the worst that Christians will ever face. We will never face a worse judgment, but rather we look forward when our faith is in Jesus to an eternity of joy and peace and without suffering. That's the perspective we need to have. That yes, we suffer now, but we will not suffer then. Rather, we have joy to come. But then the flip side, as Peter gives this solemn reminder, to reject Jesus, to say no to his forgiveness, his point is that if if Christians suffer now, how much worse will judgment be for those who reject the gospel, who say no to Jesus? That won't just be temporary, that will be eternal. Eternal loss and not gain. So our perspective on suffering for Jesus matters so much. 
It matters that we recognize it's not punishment, it's purifying. It's not a sign that we've been abandoned and forgotten by God, but rather He is testing us for His good purposes, even when we can't necessarily always see that. It's important that we take this long-term view of suffering, that we'd be ready to suffer now for Jesus, because we long for eternal glory, recognizing that to say no to Jesus is to face the prospect of eternal misery. We recognize through the teaching of the Bible that Jesus has come to destroy evil, that Jesus has come to destroy sin. All that's wrong with the world, all that's wrong in our hearts, Jesus has come to deal with that, and he will return to deal with that once and for all. But even right now, there's a refining process going on in the hearts of his people, that Jesus is working renewal in us right now, and that process will be complete when he returns. And so we need to have that perspective so that we might trust God to do his work in us, even when that involves suffering. Our final troubleshooting question is this one. What's my response? What am I going to do when when suffering comes? How am I going to live? Peter urges us to trust God and do good. It's there in verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter in his troubleshooting guide has told us suffering for Jesus is normal, not strange. Suffering for Jesus marks us out as his, so it could be cause of joy and not despair. Suffering for Jesus is part of God's work in us so we can persevere and not give up. And now he takes us to this final question. When suffering comes, which way are we going to go? How are we going to respond? for exploring Christianity. This is our response we're ready to make when we think about verse 19 and in light of suffering. As we've lived as Christians for years, when suffering comes, are we ready to keep going in this pattern? One, that we would trust God, commit ourselves to God, commit ourselves to his care, recognizing two things that, that Peter draws to mind here. One, that we commit ourselves to our faithful God, one who's faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, faithful and true to his own character, and that he is a faithful creator. He's in control. He knows us. He knows what's best for us. He can be trusted. He knows what he's doing. So we commit ourselves to our faithful creator and we continue doing good, which in this context means keep on living for Jesus even if that brings us into more suffering. Remember, that's the thing that brings the suffering, is doing good. So we trust God, and we continue to love and serve Jesus, love and serve others well. Challenging, isn't it? Can I entrust my life to God in the bad times and in the good times? Can I trust the character of God, and especially can I trust the character of God as I see it revealed in Jesus? Can I entrust my life to God as I remember the gospel, as I remember all that Jesus has done? It's really interesting. Peter uses the same language of Jesus himself in 1 Peter chapter 2. And let me read again 1 Peter 2 and at verse 21. To this you were called, suffer for doing good. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to his Father, and he invites us as his people to do the same, to trust him and continue doing good. So Peter's been helping us to troubleshoot our response to suffering. Peter's realistic, and the Bible is realistic. Suffering will come for the people of God, and that's why he spends so much time on the topic with these young Christians. Our culture, and most likely our natural temperament, would make us want to avoid suffering, would make it perhaps hard for us to to learn lessons, eh, to see that God can do something good as we suffer. And so Peter has has looked always to keep us close to two big truths about the fact that our suffering comes from our God and our God can be trusted and he's faithful and he's wise and he's good and that Jesus suffered for us. Jesus came as God's answer to sin and suffering. Jesus gives the hope of a world without sin and suffering. Jesus gives strength today to respond well in our suffering. So when we think about suffering for Jesus' name, is it something that we will expect, be ready for, ready to see God's purpose in it, to have that right perspective on it? And will we commit ourselves to our faithful creator, to Jesus our saviour, and continue to do good. Let's pray for his help in that. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognise that that no suffering in and of itself is enjoyable. But we thank you that uh, you are a wise and a good and a faithful and a trustworthy God. And that if it is your will that we suffer for the sake of Jesus, you have good purposes behind that. So we pray that you'd help us uh, to be ready to commit ourselves to you, our faithful creator, that we would be committed uh, to living for the glory of the Lord Jesus, because we recognize all he has suffered in our place to bring us salvation, that in light of the gospel, it would seem a small thing. And indeed, it would seem like a a great act of worship for us to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Help us to respond well, we pray. Prepare our hearts so that when suffering comes, that we might live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we will hear, uh, as we close, a hymn, I Will Wait For You. Out of the depths I cry to you darkest places I will call. Incline your ear to me anew, and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. Were you to count my sinful ways, 
Let's stand together for our closing prayer, which is drawn from some of Moses' final words as he blesses uh, the people of God. Deuteronomy 33, verse 12. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen.
So 